Cultivating Place is proud to receive support from the American Horticultural Society, celebrating 100 years of trusted, high-quality gardening and horticultural information since 1922. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Just in time for All Hallows' Eve, Samhain, and Day of the Dead, this week we explore the green, sacred, and communal space of a cemetery, specifically Mount Auburn Cemetery in Boston, Massachusetts. Opened in the 1830s, Mount Auburn was the first of a genre of so-called garden cemeteries in the U.S., Horticulturalist Dave Barnett is the emeritus president and CEO of Mount Auburn. Born in Connecticut, surrounded by woodlands, Dave's mother's family was involved in production garden centers, and his father was a landscape architect. Dave attended the University of Connecticut, where he studied ornamental horticulture and went on to graduate degrees in horticulture and ecology at the University of California, Davis. In college, he did a summer internship at Longwood Gardens, which inspired his career-long path in public horticulture. He was at Planting Fields Arboretum on Long Island for eight years before joining Mount Auburn in 1993 as the director of horticulture. After nearly 30 years of growing the horticultural, ecological, and cultural legacy of Mount Auburn, Dave retired as president and CEO this September. I caught up with him earlier this year, exploring the sacred and green lessons of Mount Auburn in this time. Welcome to the program again, Dave. Many of our listeners will remember our conversation a few years back about the renovation of the famous Asa Gray Garden there at Mount Auburn. I am so pleased to be speaking with you again. Well, thanks for having me. If I were to ask you, what is the mission statement of your work at Mount Auburn Cemetery and its role as a public garden? Well, that's a good question. Our 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 mission is 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 most simply that that Mount Auburn Cemetery inspires all who visit, comforts the bereaved, and commemorates the dead in a landscape of exceptional beauty. And you know, in addition to that, packaged in with that is a, a lot of our recent strategic initiatives are are tied to that beauty and tranquility and inspirational qualities, and doing all that we can to to make sure we're enhancing those qualities of Mount Auburn. But also, um, we've really focused on environmental stewardship, wildlife habitat, and and you know another and and preservation of historic character of the of this history, important history of Mount Auburn. Um, as well as just in general, um, providing an exceptional experience for for every all who come through the gates, whether they're clients of being an active cemetery or visitors for any other reason. So all that is, I, I guess, is in a nutshell what the mission of Mount Auburn is and what we've been focused on. So I want to have you remind listeners, offer out to listeners who might not be familiar, give us a little synopsis of where... Mount Auburn is, what it is, how big it is, how old it is, and, and why it's important in this historic garden cemetery genre of cemeteries. Well, sure. Um, Mount Auburn was founded in 1831, um, and we were the first um, landscaped, what became known as the rural cemetery movement, the garden cemetery in, in North America. And quickly, the, the popularity, success of Mount Auburn as 
as both a cemetery and an experimental garden and, and place it was designed from the start. Um, we were to be a place of beauty and, and inspiration for the living as well as provide the important burial and commemoration services. And the popularity of Mount Auburn quickly led to the what became known as the rural cemetery movement and you know many other cities around the country um, duplicated the concept of, of this of the same thing and um, and really that this was we were founded in 1831 and um, Central Park in New York City was 1859 and and Arnold Arboretum right around the corner from us was 1872 the whole we, we predated the the public parks and arboreta um, that that ensued in the country and so we're we are recognized, we were designated as a National Historic Landmark um, 2003, I believe, as because of the influence of Mount Auburn on not only the cemetery movement, but the parks movement and landscape design and architecture in general. So to be a, a place open, to have a design landscape that is open to the public is really what we were kind of the, the first place in this, in this continent that um, be, we led to all those other ways that there are public places available to the public, green spaces and design spaces available for the pub, for public use. Describe why it was developed as a public space at this time in Boston at that time, because, um, you know, that wasn't the norm necessarily. And as you say, it's predating some of these larger urban park uh, initiatives, um, but there were some like certain social socioeconomic shifts that urban planners were trying to address. I think, am I right? You're right that in the prior to Mount Auburn, as far as cemeteries go, burial grounds were were basically in churchyards and then were, were serving an important function. Were not meant to be a, a beautiful place to, for everyone else to go visit, other than for that function. So, so really, we. Um, began the movement to to combine um, beauty and inspiration with with commemoration and memories. Um, so, in, in in you know we really is 1830s. So it was we were five miles outside of, of right. Boston. Um, <laughs> we're actually in in Cambridge and in Watertown on the on the line, and Mount Auburn was way, way out in the woods at that mm -hmm. at the time. Today we're completely surrounded by suburban sprawl, and we're a 175 acre oasis of, of green, important urban green space yeah. now. Really important urban green space given, you know, the needs of wildlife and plant life and, right. um, and people life, especially in this past year, if not, you know, certainly before as well, but yes. really, really intensely so this past year. So at the time that it was developed, did the designers understand that it would one day be right like be part of the city that's interesting question i believe they did um, we were actually founded by the massachusetts mm -hmm. horticultural society a, um, a group of amateur horticulturists you know but very passionate ones and i think what they really envisioned what the founders envisioned was a space that would remain natural and inspiring I don't know if they completely imagined how we would be <laughs> surrounded by as much um, ur urban growth, but I know and I'm confident they imagined that it was important to, to preserve a natural area. They really, there's a lot of words in our founding documents that speak to that. 
You came as director of horticulture. We've we've talked about this idea of it being a garden cemetery, a botanic garden, an arboretum, kind of all rolled into uh, what is also an active uh, sacred space for the, the remains of people's loved ones. And I want to get into the horticulture part of it. I think many, many cemeteries look like green spaces, but not all of them have a truly horticultural mandate and and history. And Mount Auburn is is one of a of a group across a country again, uh, of which this is true. Describe what we mean when we say that. Like describe the horticultural mandate right from the beginning with its founding and and how you then have led it uh, forward as well. Yeah, I, there's so much I want to say. I have to try to control myself. But, uh, <laughs> it was, um, it's a great, great set of questions. Um, but I, it's, it's hard. I, I think what we hear a lot is that people have never, that have never been to Mount Armand Cemetery can't quite imagine it, mm-hmm. can't conceive what it looks like, but it really is a, a beautiful and inspiring place. It, it was, it has been for many decades, for many decades, right from the start, but it, but I think we've been, uh, I've been fortunate to be a part of, of, of a great team that has that worked to enhance the, the beauty and the horticultural diversity and a lot all that goes with that of, of the collect of the of the landscape and it really we, I guess what I would try to do is describe is that we have a lot of areas that that are very we've worked in one area to restore a woodland is about a four acre area of that we that had kind of lost much of the ground plane of, of plantings but we, over the years we've been we've restored the woodland understory with ferns and and ephemerals and all kinds of other woodland plants along with and it's all native to new england species now in that area is what we've tried to direct it towards and that's a very popular place for for birders and especially when the warblers are migrating through in may and the point is there's some natural areas at mount auburn and then then on the other extreme horticulturally there are areas that best represent the victorian period of the mid to late 1800s where where it was the opposite of natural it was you know garden styles and and monument styles were very ornate and 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 colorful and and we what we've worked on in recent years is to restore some of those kind of garden spaces in in that part of the the part of the cemetery that best represents that style and a lot of different ornamental styles in between you know from naturalistic to to very ornamental and i think what probably makes Mount Auburn different from most other cemeteries and, and unique in many other ways is that we have a lot a lot of shrubs and ground covers plantings throughout the cemetery and we're fortunate blessed with a amazing topography of lots of hills and and valleys and and three three ponds and a vernal pool and and a lot of you know really beautiful we're blessed with with nature and we've been able to expand and enhance it with with appropriate plantings towards those character zones that we're trying to trying to preserve and tell the story the history of mount auburn and all the different styles of, of funerary art and and horticulture that we've gone through over the decades as well at, and to continue to be a cemetery and i i think you know i you mentioned this earlier and i really want to make sure I, I build on it is that in this time of pandemic when when people have even more than normal usual needed a, a place of respite a place to 
walk and enjoy nature we've seen a, a huge uptick in in visitation and bet, yeah. and it just it just validates what we've been working on what our mission is to inspire all who visit and that that's what we've provided comfort not only in, you know you know our as a cemetery we're certainly aimed at providing comfort to those that are here that have recently lost loved ones and are here visiting for that reason but i think it's pretty clear that we've provided a lot of comfort to a, a broader range of people whether they've lost somebody recently or not you know and particularly in this time so it's really been a uh, amazing combination of of services or functions i guess that that we're able to provide and for me it really is the the combination of being a cemetery and an arboretum and a public garden that just makes makes it such a an amazing place to work yeah i think the staff all feels that way we you know really passionate about the place. And speaking of the staff, I mean, I think one of the things that sets a, a, a cultural institution like Mount Auburn apart is that you actually have a dedicated horticultural team that mm-hmm. describe how many people are working, uh, you know, in a professional capacity on, you know, caring for the plants, choosing the plants, you know, like actual gardening, not just mow and blow kind of maintenance that many cemeteries across the country deploy, but rather an actual gardening team with uh, horticulturalists who care about every single bulb, vine, plant, flower, tree. Yes, we are fortunate to have a gardening crew of of um let me think now it's uh three full-time and then several and then a a lot of seasonal employees and interns that that supplement that in the in the season and in addition to that we have our own do all our own tree work and um, arboriculture work and there is the important um grass mowing and grounds maintenance functions that as well we're fortunate to have very dedicated employees in all of those areas, but you know the gardening with the Asa Gray Garden that we talked about last time, and a number of other areas. There's really a, a need for skilled gardeners that really, really understand perennials and, and annuals and all the deadheading and pruning and and uh, what it takes to to keep a, a garden looking beautiful, but looking like we haven't done anything. And mm-hmm. we really do have um, a, a staff that is not typical of most cemeteries, I guess it's fair to say, um, you know, because we have so many of these garden spaces, that's really what we're, what we need to have to keep them looking beautiful. This is Cultivating Place. This week, in honor of the liminal and the seasonal celebrations of this season of All Hallows' Eve, Sawin and Day of the Dead, we're speaking with Dave Barnett, Emeritus President and CEO of the oldest garden cemetery in the U.S., Mount Auburn Cemetery in Boston, Massachusetts, founded in 1831 by the Massachusetts Horticultural Society. We'll be right back after a break. Stay with us.
Cultivating Place is made possible in part by listeners just like you and by support from the American Horticultural Society. Soon to turn 100 years old and still growing strong, the American Horticultural Society is more committed than ever to integrating science, education, social responsibility, environmental stewardship, community, and horticultural joy that reminds us all of the vibrancy and relevance of gardening in our world. The Society's in-depth journal, The American Gardener, their reciprocal admissions at public gardens, and their many other programs bring gardening to life. The Society's annual garden auction takes place online from October 28th to November 10th. Check it out. Listeners of Cultivating Place receive a $10 discount on annual individual membership to the AHS for your discounted Cultivating Place rate of an annual individual membership to the American Horticultural Society for just $25 a year. Head over to www.ahsgardening.org forward slash cp. Hey, it's Jennifer. Many of you who've listened to Cultivating Place for any length of time will know this about me. I have a deep and abiding interest in cemeteries, in historic burial sites, and in fact, ceremony around burial of all kinds. These are liminal, sacred, and very often green spaces and green ceremonies. And not just human burial sites or human burial ceremonies, and not just burial ceremonies or spaces of any one religious or spiritual and cultural tradition, but all kinds. I have spent my life visiting them, reading about them, noting them for family and for just general history in the South, in the Northeast, in the West. In the senescence of the year, in the end of the growing season here in the Northern Hemisphere, and with the COVID-19 pandemic bearing in on 5 million deaths worldwide since its beginning 20 months ago, it occurs to me that death is more visible in this moment, at this time of year, than maybe it's ever been for us communally. And it occurs to me that in some ways, How we handle death and dying is integral to, and reflective even, of how we live. And as with many things, this is as true in the garden as it is in any area of life. What we lose, what we cut back, what we save, what we take with us, what we compost, how and where we invest and value our compost, Our gardens, individually and communally, tell and hold these stories along with all the other stories of our lives. I think this is important somehow for us to garden with this in mind, to pay tribute to in whatever ways we can, even just by making note of it, 
of acknowledging this interdependence between life and death. As we come back, Dave Barnett, Emeritus President and CEO of the oldest garden cemetery in the U.S., Mount Auburn Cemetery in Boston, Massachusetts, shares more about the different levels of Mount Auburn as arboretum, as garden, as cemetery, and as needed green space in a time when life on Earth needs this more than ever. We are an accredited arboretum through Arbnet Level 3, and as far as botanical garden, there, we are we are a very active member of, of the American Public Gardens Association um, and certainly active members and, and participate at, at many levels. And our horticultural curator is, is very active and we are on, on many levels um, active in the public garden, botanical garden world. There is not an accreditation per se in that same sense as, as we are as an arboretum. But we're that's where that's the world I came from, and to come here and that and with the charge to bring those kind of curatorial practices and thinking, you know, more as a more educational and visitor services education in general. So we've and and then curatorial practices, records, plant records, and all that go that typical arboretum botanical garden do, and that's what we've we we have at Mount Auburn now, um, and because of recent years. Give us a, a kind of view into what the annual cycle is like for the horticultural team, you know, from you to the, to the curator of horticulture to that garden team. How do you prioritize ongoing care, replanting, new plantings, like working in a renovation of something like the woodland? And do you have like a one-year plan? Do you have a five-year plan? How, how Give us your kind of cycle of care. Uh, we, we definitely have a, a long range plan, uh, the multiple year plan. We, <laughs> we have, it's, I think it's fair to say that the five year plan is, tends to be close, more closely followed than the 10 year plus. There's a lot of things <laughs> happen, but, but we do have a vision, have all along had a, a vision out of, of projects that we would like to do. And many of them have been contingent on fundraising. We've been fortunate that in the area of like wildlife habitat improvements, for instance, um, are, that's where fundraising has been has come in to, from foundations and individuals that have enabled us to do a lot of a lot of landscape enhancements that improve wildlife habitat and and are in our enhancing the Victorian and other kind of you know historic period characters of Mount Auburn because that's our our endowment. We're fortunate to have a, a, a very good endowment that that it is largely restricted to carry out the perpetual care functions of 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 the plantings and the grass and the plantings on on burial lots but in between and in between in addition to that is where we've been able to use fundraising that really has enabled us to do uh, a lot of other projects um, that that go above and beyond the, our perpetual care obligations and that's where where these preservation and character zone and, and habitat enhancement kind of projects have come in, but they've, um, so we have, we have a multiple year wish list, <laughs> you know, of, of that, that kind of a, of a master plan that keeps getting refined. And, and um, we, we also did a, several years, 2014, 15, we did a wildlife habitat action plan um, 
which was a multi-year plan to to continue to prioritize kind of for the sake of have wildlife but also uh, prioritized by active use areas of our cemetery and where we saw an opportunity to really enhance aesthetically as in a historically appropriate way that that um, we that also en enhanced wildlife habitat and I guess in a nutshell I've I, we've we've had a the, the, for wildlife purposes the more you can connect one spot to another where salamanders and toads and other kind of critters can crawl from one place to the other including birds um, that the better it is as a as a bigger habitat. So we've been working on a, on a lot of projects that we've done in a phased approach, but all with a big picture multi-year plan. And and that's so I guess it's fair to say we've we plan ahead a lot. And I I think I haven't really mentioned it. I want to make sure I do that embedded in all of in all of this and all of our our thinking is that is horticultural diversity and is and that's so important that that um, as an example, we used to have well over 300 Canadian Canada hemlocks that have been a, a devastated by the hemlock woolly adelgid in, in recent years. And so we've, rather than try to, to save them, them all, we've, we've prioritized those that we intended to and that let the others go and used it as an opportunity to diversify our conifer collection and just you know replace with a wider diversity of, of conifers and similarly we've done that at the perennial and ground cover plane and shrub layer etc where the more particularly with climate change um, it's only becoming more important to have a, a diverse collection of plants that can withstand whatever comes our way and we've really focused on increasing the diversity of later summer flowering later spring and summer flowering plants and and plants that heretofore were not seen to be hardy at, in Boston but now we're testing them and, and pushing the envelope because that's what we see changing so we want to you know keep our be keep our landscape ready to and resilient to, to be able to survive as some plants die out and others will take their place so so a lot of a lot of horticultural collections thinking in the sense of, of of plant diversity and then incorporating that into garden designs and and naturalistic woodland designs and everything in between is what we've how we've been approaching the overall enhancement of the landscape Wow, that's quite a rubric to hold, you know, both uh, adaptability with climate change, to hold habitat value, to hold ability to withstand public pressure and be appropriate for a public space. Um, that's quite a prism to be working with. And on top of that, to be to be of comfort to grieving, you know, it's still a cemetery. So yeah, it's really important to keep that in mind. So when you replaced uh, the, the, the hemlocks and diversified your conifer collection, give us some examples of what you have chosen to test out now. We've added quite a lot of different fur, Aby's fur species, and, um, and all, and as well as, as other, the other hemlocks, but also other species of hemlocks, but other, but then in general, um, ju junipers, spruce, firs, and and see even some cedars, the cedrus. Um, we've 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 tried more of so wide, quite a wide range, and then you know, and also not all just. It, it gives us a chance to try different 
different have different habit sizes some small trees large trees medium trees you know in the conifer realm as well as in as, as well as in shade shade trees you know not sometimes when we lose a, a european beech we or a big large maple um, we may replace it with multiple smaller trees like dogwoods or magnolias or smaller conifers so it gives us and, and you know it, it varies depending on the location and the character of of that part of the landscape that we're trying to enhance. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, the description that you, you gave us of trying to connect each of the individual kind of more specifically garden sites, the character sites uh, together so that there are kind of these corridors between them for for wildlife that might need it like the toads or the salamanders first of all i just i love that that is on your radar as something you're doing it's because you have you know uh, over a hundred acres and so that does become important and then you put that into the context of the emerald necklace you know which was Mm -hmm. designed for one reason but is i'm guessing serving as a really great wildlife corridor in this day and age, can you describe that to to listeners? Because it was really, it was really full of foresight. Me, our, our what we've done at Mount Auburn, or the Emerald Necklace, or both. The Emerald Necklace, like generally, okay, yeah. and then let's and then let's yep. razor down into what you how you are doing that same concept on a smaller scale there. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I mean, I think um, the Emerald Necklace. Frederick Law Olmsted saw initially a, 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 a public space to be used by by people, but at, I, at the same time, he he had to have wildlife in mind, you know, and um, the value that it would provide, and 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 the, connect a, a long linear strip of 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 space is what what is provides so much value to particularly the the wildlife and. But clearly, he was providing spaces to be enjoyed in recreational ways as well as as inspirational ways. You know, just tra- tranquil walking, um, and as uh, same with Central Park in New York, and you know, other other major places that he did. And you know, just taking that thinking. Um, by the way. We were founded in 1831, and Frederick Law Olmsted was a young right, child. Right, so we, right. we, it's a it's a myth, a myth uh, often uh, misunderstood that he no, designed yeah. Mount Auburn, but he did not. Um, but but he but the same concepts he we've we've tried to follow certainly um, all along here is is th- design individual garden spaces that but always with a good vision of what's to the left or right or north or south and and connect them visually as well as functionally and and in our case what what's really different is we have burials and monuments <laughs> throughout the grounds that that have to be respected of course and 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 highlighted and 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 that but we but some appropriate ground covers low ground covers still provide access and don't hide don't cover you know we certainly don't want to it's driven by the by the the cemetery first but we found lots of ways that we can we can enhance wildlife habitat and enhance beauty at the same time and i i think i think as long as you have the big picture step back and look from different look at visual look at vistas and look at 
look at places from far away and and turn around, go over there and look back the other direction is is what we've always tried to do to just think of the overall landscape, not as a series of little separate landscapes. We really just want to try to connect yeah. them together. Yeah. And that, I think that right there, I mean, you get to, to what, what it does take is you have to look at it from so many different angles in order to see what's missing. Um, and I, just the fact that you used, uh, the, uh, you invoked toads and salamanders makes me so happy. Um, we actually, I think we, I don't know if we talk about this, but we, um, we, we did not have any American toads at Mount Auburn five years ago. We realized after a year that they just had become extinct. I mean, they really, they weren't for, for, you know, who from decades of past practices of whether chemicals and lawns and we, and we, we actually reintroduced toads in, with eggs with in in uh, our vernal pool and and now we have toads throughout have 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 indeed moved from to all three ponds and have and we found find all throughout the grounds now so that that's been really gratifying and the same with great tree frogs and spring peepers we've we've introduced reintroduced that didn't exist and along with the spotted salamanders that that did not disappear we they were the reason we really started um trying initially 25 years ago to to enhance to protect the habitat for the around the vernal pool and enhance it aesthetically and that's what started us on yeah, this path that's so great that's so great and um you know and i know there is a huge diversity of bird life that uh is either resident or migratory through um through the the cemetery as well which is phenomenal are there uh, on the website for Mount Auburn and for visitors information, is there that kind of information of things to look for or things that might be, you know, in, in the cemetery at any given moment? Is that the kind, is there that kind of visitor information on the website? Yes, there is. There's, awesome. there's, there's quite a wide range of, of information and, um, on, on wildlife and on, on birds and, and cer certainly in, and some of the descriptions of some of the various projects that we've we've done and including the the Asa Gray Garden that mm -hmm. you know, we talked about before but that so yeah there's a as a lot of in past past articles I mean you can there's a lot of information on the website that certainly would encourage anyone to to look at and, and just get a sense of all the kinds of things we've done in fact another say, outcome of the pandemic in recent months is that we've focused a lot more on virtual content on producing videos and and stories of of what of the, what the staff is doing and what we're doing at Mount Auburn because we're not we haven't been as accessible at, for a while we were closed in, in April and May um, but for, thankfully since June have been back open um, but that so we we have done a lot more virtual programming that is also available on the website. This is Cultivating Place. We're speaking this week with. Dave Barnett, Emeritus President and CEO of the oldest garden cemetery in the U.S., Mount Auburn Cemetery in Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be right back after a break. Stay with us. So, thinking out loud this week, in my most recent newsletter, 
a view from here. I shared again a recent experience in which a garden and plant-loving friend noted to me our deep need for more ceremony in our lives. In my mind, this is one of the greatest gifts of the garden. This offering out to us, no matter who we are, no matter where we live in garden, no matter what our ancestral or spiritual and cultural background might be. The garden offers out to us daily, monthly, and seasonal, a call to attention, to purpose, and to presence as we tend and commune with our plant friends throughout their life cycles. This attention, purpose, practice, presence, it's the very foundation of any ceremony, isn't it? And while we might associate ceremony with grand and formal events, aren't the little rituals of our everyday lives as ceremonially significant to us when we see them as such, when we honor them as such? Early this morning, I wrapped up and I went out in the dim light of the early day, warm coffee cup in hand, to greet the still large and bright waning and setting moon, haloed by hazy, shimmering clouds born of our recent rains. The moon was low in the sky, just beyond the dark silhouette of my pistache tree, still holding tight to her fall-colored leaves there in the back garden. A flock of geese flew over in the dark, making their own seasonal way. They were chattering and their wings were beating, and I knew they were overhead, but somehow the sound was reverberating maybe off the breaking cloud cover, off the atmospheric pressure, and they seemed to be all around me in this morning moment, singing and calling and swooshing in the slowly lifting light of this beautiful, crisp fall day starting. It reminded me, The moon, the clouds, the morning, the geese, like any call to prayer or celebration of exactly where and who I am on this planet, in this annual circle around the sun, in this life. It was, in fact, a perfect ceremony for seasonal abundance and gratitude for it. If you're not signed up for my monthly newsletter, which includes links to the previous month's episodes of Cultivating Place, information on upcoming Cultivating Place events, and musing and reports on our horticultural world, just go to cultivatingplace.com forward slash newsletter and sign up there. We're back now to our conversation with Dave Barnett, Emeritus President and CEO of the historic Mount Auburn Cemetery in Boston, Massachusetts. With strong recent focus on improving habitat and access to the gardens and naturalized areas of Mount Auburn. As we come back, Dave shares more about how Mount Auburn is also working to reflect, welcome, and include a much more diverse human population as well. We did a vision and values articulation process. We spent about a year doing 
that where we really looked back and engaged a lot of different um, stakeholder groups, external and internal, and and had had with the intent of coming up with a statement of a vision and values to and and then which and. And then that led to a strategic planning process that we actually just completed. But the, the vision and values was completed a, a year ago, you know, prior to the elevated um, bias, racial inequity discussions that we've had, you know, but, but already we had focused on openness and welcome was an important va value, openness, welcome, and um, in addition to a number of other, you know, values, but that was one of them. And, but it was mostly with a recognition that, there was a lot of aspiration to do more, you know, to be seen more as, because as you say, we are open free of charge every day of the year, but there's a, but perception yes. is different. Not, not everyone knows, knows that. So we're since then in the strategic planning process that, that we have um, recently completed that we've, there are a lot of objectives and, and, and action steps identified that are really focused on the whole area, uh, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility, as we're calling the IDEA, that, that um, an, we have a, a task force at the trustees level and at the staff level that are looking at ways to, um, for, through programming and, and staff training and and other, you know, communications with under reaching out to collaborate with and do surveys and get get information from listen to our community and our neighbors and then and then just, you know that that's the first important step. A lot of information gathering and and sharing, communicating. Not not just we basically we feel like we don't know anything. We need to learn a lot. And you know, and I mean, and and that's the approach we're taking is that that we need to do a lot of listening and, and learning and, and we'll we've engaged some uh, consultants to help us with that and and so there's there will be a, there is a major focus now on finding ways to um, reach out and include in 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 many ways including our cemetery services you know our um, there there's you know cultural differences, a lot of different practices that we've tried for years to, to provide. I mean, we're a non-sectarian, non-religious cemetery. We're open to all, but that not, you know, again, the perception is, is sometimes different mm -hmm. than reality. And certainly we want to expand our services that, that meet the needs of other, of other cultures as well. So uh, even in that area, as well as just overall, visitation. And this goes to the staff, obviously, mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, well, I was really excited to see the African American Heritage Trail, uh, the, the work done on it and its actual existence. Do you want to describe that a little bit for, for listeners? Yeah, and that, that was done a, a few years ago. Um, so it's a it's a booklet and a tour um, of of African Americans buried here at, at Mount Auburn and, 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 you know, the background, the story, the history of the per of of the individuals, um, and just a, gu a guide, you know, to to help those interested in that topic. And so, certainly, that's an area that we want uh, the type of pro of of um, program and programming and and information that we want to do more of, as well. Um, and but I also think it's fair to say we need to we need we need to update mm -hmm. even that yeah. information. With different yeah. eyes, with different from a different perspective than than we did a few years ago. So, so that's that will be in the works as well. 
I love that answer. And I really appreciate, um, that, uh, that effort, that what feels like very honest and deep response to, to this particular time, because as, as you stated right from the beginning, this is a cultural institution. And as such, um, there is a certain standard and responsibility, um, that comes to bear with that. When you, uh, as a garden cemetery, um, is there a consortium or association of this kind of cemetery? Because, you know, I can think of quite, quite a few of them, um, you know, Woodlawn in New Jersey, and there's one in Denver, certainly, and there's certainly, I think, one in New York. And um, is there a group of you that that come together to sort of talk about protocols and best practices for your particular work? Yes, there, there, there is. There's, there's a few different um, groups, but one, there's one historic. Stark Cemetery Alliance is a small group of, of private, lar- larger scale historic cemeteries, the rural cemeteries like, like and, and lands, lawn cemeteries that came from there. And, and so we meet, there's actually a group that meets annually and a lot of communication in between. And, and we're, we're most similar in the sense that all similar age um, and, it, you know, Laurel Hill is is after Mount Auburn. L- Laurel Hill was second in Philadelphia, and Greenwood and Brooklyn was third, all in the next few, the same decade, 1835, 38. So, and then there's several others. So we have a lot in common, and at many levels, and it, particularly at the cultural institution level, where we're most common, a lot of focus on on that area, the the area of of education and visitor and cultural programming, and in addition to that group, which is the most, which there's a lot of interaction, um, then we also have there's there's um, the national international cemetery cremation funeral association that that has is includes funeral directors and is much broader and by includes a lot of cemeteries that are not necessarily historic, you know, that are not thinking the way in along the lines of historic preservation, but there's still also a lot to share a lot. uh, uh, I and others on staff have been involved with with various programs and training on sharing information with each other on uh, probably more than anything environmental stewardship on on trying to share ideas of ways to be more environmentally sensitive in our changing our turf practices, for instance, to, you know, not weed and feed and, and mow and, and spray chemicals, but to do it differently, which we've been doing for years at Mount Auburn. And so certainly we're sharing that kind of information with other other cemeteries um, and, and vice versa. So there's a lot of, there's various levels of interaction amongst cemeteries to, to share with each other. But I think the one I mentioned is the one that, that I've been most yeah, involved with. Nice. Because it's one of the green spaces in our certainly North American world, you know, American world that are kind of unseen or unnoticed and, you know, they, but represent quite a bit of, of land area. And so to have them serve as public gardens, have them serve as environmental, um, safe spaces for habitat, like that's that's a big shift in in possibility uh, in in an urban environment. When you think about this work that you've been doing, Dave, for all these years, 
and you think about the strides that a place like Mount Auburn has made and you you know I I think you you started to share like seeing the visitation in the the cemetery this past year once you got back open why why is this particular work so important in our world in your mind (laughs) yeah that's there's a lot to say there too but but um you know on just to provide a place in our in our case or you know but similar to any other open green space but sir let me focus on mount auburn what we we provide is a is is a such an important place to come relax refresh be inspired uh, rejuvenated whatever you know people think of it very differently and that's always been important um it's become that much more evidently important you know to to in recent months but it's but i think um in we're we're equally a place a destination the the asa gray garden is is a beautiful garden that year round that people in other parts of mount auburn are we're a place of beauty that you know and and horticulture so to be able to be a place that people come to learn because we have trees and plants labeled to come learn about study plants um in some cases that's what they're focused on in others they're not they're just trying to relax and just trying to get away from the world and on top of all of it, it, what we've really focused on, which I think is probably, I, I, I might put most important, it's hard to rank, but, but the environmental stewardship role that we, that we play, that the ways we've, 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 we've done, maintained a place of beauty with the environment in mind and climate change in mind, I think probably more than anything is, is a role that we should mm-hmm. be playing and, and, and are playing and, and, they're that they don't that's only going to become more important you know in the future so to be in the fact that we're in we're in an urban you know we really are in an urban environment readily accessible to to a large population is is pretty important we are you know we need to take advantage of that and and provide the just the space to walk or despite the space to learn and everything in between and and I can't forget on top of all that is we are, as we've said, a cemetery still and still very much are burying people every day. And, and so everything else that we do has to be in the right balance and be respectful of, of that, of, the, of people are here grieving and um, remembering. And it's, there's a lot, of cha- a, lot of, a lot of challenges, but at the same time, it's, that's what drives that's it's pretty it's it's there's a lot of gratification in being able to do all that because they're they're not we found that they're they're sympathetic with each other not Mm. antagonistic if you look at it right and you know in this last year you mentioned there had been quite an uptick in visitation once you were able to get open Are, are there any anecdotes that you might be able to share of of sort of witnessing how this space meant something powerful to someone in any one of those capacities uh, yeah i mean i i've you know so many times i i'm walking out on the grounds and a a visitor recognizes me and stops to just say thanks. You know, it's um, so even if they're visiting a, 
a child mm. or a de- you know mm. a terrible that happened years ago. Um, they're, they're just grateful that they have Mount Auburn to to come to. So um, that's that's powerful. But I think you know, but in a di- what beyond that, there's just you know all the people just enjoy having a place to to walk and and breathe the fresh air and get away from from the hassle of life there especially in the zoom world (laughs) today you know just to get out and enjoy nature so i i think we have a real role to play to connect people with with nature and but at the same time connect people with history that that's what probably a historic cemetery like mount auburn is maybe focuses on more than than many botanical gardens, you know, that it's that our history and of course all the stories of the hundred thousand residents right. that we have here are are so important and are, are so much part of a, what what we're tasked and charged our mission is to preserve all that and in fact find way more ways to tell those stories of those not everyone here is famous. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people that have nobody knows, but that it, the more we learn from our rich archives and store and, and can share the stories of the kinds of diverse kinds of people that are buried here the, the that'll play a role going forward even more so so and is there is there any other big project for you to complete before you retire well the one that we're working actively on is Indi- we call indian ridge re- restoration it's we're actually in the second phase this year will be second phase of it. So we accomplished a lot last year and we'll be continuing that. And I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing this phase completed and the, um, the, a very exciting project that we're working on, but I won't see it implemented. I'll, I'm just in the design processes. We're working with Pete Udolph actually to work on, on, um, on a, on a renovation of a, of an, a particular area. And, and, that that's really exciting. We're about to expect to get the final planting design from him. We've done a conceptual, we've had a lot of meetings. And so that won't be implemented till next year and, and beyond. It'll be a phased project as well. But I'll be very interested to watch that one develop, even though yeah. I won't be I won't be making it happen. But but I've been here for the exciting part of it to meet with him and walk around and you know put it on conceptually on paper. So that's the next big one, and everything else is much smaller in comparison. Well, that's great. And what is the focus of the Indian Ridge? Uh... So it's primarily uh, it's a combination of it's part of our wildlife habitat connection. It's a linear, it's a long um, esker path, very popular for birders, and and it's always been a popular because you can walk along it looking. It's high, and you're looking down on a on a lake, and both on both sides and different so it's a very beautiful walk um but the path it there were a number of invasive on the steep bank on one side of it that we had a bunch of honeysuckles and several norway maples and and just we we cut all that all those stuff things down last a year ago and then spent the spring and the sun planting with a, a wildlife habitat you know an enhanced ultimately habitat more more natural native plants and and diverse all the layers like we've been done and it's connecting the vernal pool at consecration dell to the lake so it's part of the bigger picture to to create a you know a path for the toads to crawl in but it's also being done in a way that is respectful of the historic 
section of the cemetery. So it's so it's enhancing the historic character and the habitat and and just in general aesthetically making it much much better looking. So so it's a combination of of goals. But that's you know it's kind of it was prioritized because of its role in the wildlife habitat action plan. Um, so that's the one we've and we've been able to raise um, a lot of money for it. I mean, it's been a great example, very gratifying that people have been excited about contributing to that kind of project. So in Asa Gray Garden, which we talked about before, we was um, we also have a grant we're working on interpreting. We're going to have a lot more interpretation of it, the Asian North American story, and that we're that'll this summer will be completed as well so but it's the garden itself is is beautiful the garden itself has really started to mature and is looking great so is there anything you would like to add uh along any of these lines <laughs> well i would just say that if if uh, anyone is listening and has never been to mount armor cemetery i certainly encourage you to to come because it's it's a it's it's a, a very unique place and a and you know in a powerful place in in many ways so um it's certainly been a, an amazing place and fun place for me to work at all these years and i think a lot of the pretty all the staff feels the same way so it's a encourage you to come by Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today it was great to catch up with you and um yeah, keep up all the great all the great work. Well, thank you so much for having me again, Jennifer. Mount Auburn Cemetery in Boston, Massachusetts was the first of a genre of so-called garden cemeteries in the US. Emeritus President and CEO Dave Barnett began his tenure at Mount Auburn in 1993 as the cemetery's first director of horticulture. In his time at the helm, Dave is responsible for elevating the most horticultural and inspirational qualities of Mount Auburn's landscape. Join us again next week when we look at garden history from another angle at the Garden Museum in London, in conversation with director Christopher Woodward. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio and is made possible by listeners just like you through the support button at the top right-hand corner of every page at cultivatingplace.com. We are also made possible by support from the American Horticultural Society. To read more and see many images from Mount Auburn's garden spaces, make sure to check out this week's episode show notes under the podcast tab every week at cultivatingplace.com. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler and producer and development director Sarah Bohannon. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.